You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bible open to 2 Peter chapter 3, in just a few moments, we're going to stand again and read verse 10. But we appreciate so much each one of you being here this morning. I don't know about you, but my family loves fireworks. I remember being a kid, and when it was 4th of July, mom and dad would load me and my sister up, and we would drive down to Egner Ferry Bridge. And there would already, it seemed like, be hundreds of cars trying to find parking spots. And then we'd find a parking spot, and mom and dad would take us down the levee, and we would get a seat. We had been in this for so many years. We'd get our favorite seat, hoping nobody had it. We'd spread out our blanket, and we would wait for it to get dark, and then began to shoot the Ken Lake fireworks. We just loved that. And I thought that was the greatest fireworks show in the world until I got married. And we had children. Now, you heard me say before, I'd only been on one vacation in my life out of the state to Florida. We went to the beach. But when Salisa and I got married, we took the kids to Disney World. And can I just say nobody does fireworks like Disney? Wow, it's absolutely amazing. Here I am standing with Salisa and my kids in front of Cinderella's castle. And all of a sudden, it gets dark. And all of a sudden, the oh, it was just absolutely phenomenal. And then we went over to Epcot, and illuminations just blew my mind. Now, we still love fireworks on the 4th of July, but my family doesn't go to Ken Lake anymore because our family personally does fireworks on 4th of July. My nephew, Michael. Uh, has all of us over. It's a big group of people. We get together. We celebrate the 4th of July. And then when the sun goes down, we all get excited because we know that Michael's going to provide this fireworks show that's second to none except Disney World. And all of a sudden, when the sun goes down, the guys start going over across the road. And all of us are at our tables. We start looking. And all of a sudden, wow, it's just phenomenal. Now, I'll never forget, Michael will remember this personally, what year it was, but there was one year when we're all watching the fireworks, and all of a sudden, instead of the fireworks going up into the sky, the fireworks started going at the guys who were shooting the fireworks. And the next thing you know, instead of fireworks going everywhere, the guy shooting the fireworks was running because they were caught in the middle of the fireworks, and they were trying to get away, and it was absolutely total chaos. So can I just say, it's better to be at a distance watching fireworks than to be in the midst of fireworks being shot when things aren't going right. Over the next few weeks, we're going to learn about the greatest fireworks show humanity's ever going to see. It's the fireworks of God. So if you have your Bibles... Stand with me and let's open to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Everybody ready? But the day of the Lord will come. Now, let's not read any further. Let's let that sink in. But the day of the Lord will come 
like a thief. And then, you ready for this? The heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this awesome opportunity to begin this first day of a brand new week with your people in your house. We are so thankful that church is not a place to go, but it's who we are. Father, we're enjoying walking through Peter's letters this morning. Well, I want you to anoint us to listen. And I want you to anoint me to speak. And Father, you know our hearts. None of us here want to be a hear only, and I don't want to be a speaker only. We want to be doers of your word. Father, help us now as we walk through this passage. It's in your precious, precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Corey last week revealed the five lies the false teachers were teaching about the second coming of Jesus, basically denying a second coming. Peter revealed, Corey pointed out that God's not slow. Time is a little different with him than it is with us. He's in time and outside of time at the same time. That's just neat. It's just who he is. The reason it's been so long from our viewpoint is because of the very nature of God. He's patient. He's long-suffering. And in his character, he doesn't want anyone to perish. But he wants all to come to repentance. He knows that when he sends Jesus back, time will be no more. And the fate of mankind is eternally secured. Therefore, there seems to be a delay when there's really not. Now, I want you to hear Paul Peter's answer. But, the day of the Lord. Peter's going to draw from his Old Testament experience as a Jew. And he's going to remember all of those times that God stepped in warning the nation of Israel that if you keep doing what you're doing, one day you're going to face me in judgment. There's going to be a day of the Lord coming and it's not going to be good. And what Peter's going to do is he's going to associate the return of Christ with the day of the Lord. The return of Christ fulfills the day of the Lord concept in the Old Testament. One of my favorite pictures of the day of the Lord in the Old Testament is in the prophet Amos. I love Amos. He was a, a farmer called to preach. He was reluctant to do what he was doing, but he was doing it because he knew he had a call from God. And, and he announces to the northern kingdom Woe, woe means cursed. Cursed are you who desire the day of the Lord. 
See, they thought they were God's people. They thought it was going to be a day of salvation, but Amos is going to reveal to them it's going to be a day of judgment to them, not a day of salvation. And he says, woe to you, cursed are you, for this is not going to be a day of light, but it's going to be a day of darkness. And he says, it's going to be like a man who was running from a lion, and he escapes the lion only to meet a bear. Whoa! When you think this couldn't get any worse, you're now running the opposite direction from a bear, and you're trying to get to home as fast as you can. You finally get home. You outrun the bear. You go into your house. You close the door, and you lean on the wall, and a venomous snake bites you. What's the picture? You can't escape the day of the Lord. He said it's going to be a day of gloom. It's not going to be a day of light for you. Peter takes this concept and applies it to the return of Christ. And he says, the day of the Lord, the return of Christ. Now he's going to answer the question now of why it seems to be so long. And he's going to say that day is going to be like a thief. Now, last week, Corey put up four views of eschatology. I don't know if you did any research. I don't know if you know exactly where you're at. But if you have views of the return of Christ, you fall into one of those camps, so to speak. Now, I want to be clear this morning. I am in a camp. I'm not in the camp I used to be in. And I want to be clear. This is not a test of fellowship for us here at Harden. But I have to present the view I believe. Peter was with Jesus when Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 compared his return to like a thief in the night. Now, if you remember in John's gospel, right before Jesus gets ready to leave, he reminds them that it's to their advantage he goes away because when he goes away, the Holy Spirit's going to come and one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is going to be this. The Holy Spirit's going to be our teacher. And then he tells the apostles, he's going to remind you of all the things that I've talked about. So I think they went, praise the Lord. Can you imagine Jesus getting ready to leave? He's going to leave it all in your hands and you're thinking, oh man, what did he say? What did he teach? I didn't listen well enough. And now they're assured the Holy Spirit's going to bring everything back to their remembrance. So here's what I believe. Peter's writing about the return of Christ. Holy Spirit of God is both reminding him of what Jesus said and inspiring him to say the day of the Lord is like a thief. But he didn't originate this. Jesus did. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to the Gospel of Matthew this morning. 24th chapter. So if you have your Bibles open there, Matthew chapter 24. Now I just want to remind you that when I came to Harden as pastor, I was 22 years of age. And the first book that I decided to preach through was the Gospel of Matthew. And you know my style, you know my method. I just preach through books of the Bible verse by verse. So I was preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. I got to Matthew chapter 23, finished the 23rd chapter of Matthew. And the next Sunday morning when everybody came back to Harden, downtown location, 
And everybody had opened to Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. I said, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, verse 1. And everybody kind of looked at me. And here's what I said. The church is not ready for what Brother Ricky believes about this passage. And Brother Ricky's not sure he has it all figured out yet. So I'm not going to teach Matthew 24 and 25. Now let me tell you what was going on with me. I was raised at Ledbetter Baptist Church. Praise God for my upbringing. Anytime I'd heard anything about the second coming of Jesus Christ, it would scare me to death. Because I was taught there was going to be this secret coming of Jesus. And all the believers are going to be taken off the earth and all of us... Unbelievers are going to be left on the planet for seven years, and it's going to get really, really bad. And there'd be times I'd look around, and mom and dad wasn't there. Gina wasn't there. I'd call Granny Bogard, and Granny Bogard was always home. Granny Bogard always answered the phone, and Granny Bogard wouldn't answer on this day. And I'd have this thought, did I miss it? Did I miss the rapture? Am I really not a believer? When I surrendered to preach God's word, Ledbetter Baptist Church gave me an ordination Bible. It was a C.I. Schofield reference Bible. Did any of you ever have a C.I. Schofield reference Bible? Yes. Did you know that all of Western Kentucky had a C.I. Schofield reference Bible? Do you know why we all had a C.I. Schofield reference Bible? It's because in that day, if you lived in Western Kentucky, you bought your Bible in Paducah, Kentucky at the Sears and Roebuck store. They sold Bibles. And they sold Bibles that had notes in it. C.I. Schofield notes. Now, my granddaddy Bogard taught me that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And from the first verse in Genesis to the maps, it was all inspired and it was all of God. My granddaddy thought those notes were inspired too. And so I was raised in a church that just taught dispensational premillennialism. That's all I knew. So when I started pastoring Owens Chapel Baptist Church with my C.I. Schofield reference Bible... Guess what Owens Chapel wanted me to do on Sunday night? They wanted me to preach through the book of Revelation. I was 22, 23 years of age. Or 21 years of age. I'm sorry. They want me to preach through the book of Revelation. I'm bivocational. I'm preaching on Sunday morning. I'm going to preach on Revelation on Sunday night. And I'm teaching on Wednesday night. So I found this book. Can I tell y'all we had twice as many people coming on Sunday night than we had on Sunday morning because this little guy was preaching the book of Revelation. And they were coming from other churches to hear me teach. So I had a book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Now you got to remember, it's Sunday afternoon. I've got to get a sermon. So I would read Hal Lindsey's chapter. Then I would read my Bible and everything that Hal Lindsey said, I saw in the Bible. So I want to be clear. When I preached the book of Revelation, I preached Hal Lindsey. I didn't read Hal Lindsey in light of the Word of God. I read the Word of God in light of Hal Lindsey. Does that make sense? And I preached that. And then I came to Harden. But when I was in his chapel, I enrolled at Mid-Continent Baptist Bible College through the urging of an older pastor. And at Mid-Continent, I learned how to study Scripture from the Greek text, the Hebrew text. I learned to study verse by verse. And so when I started through the Gospel of Matthew, I had no idea that when I come to Matthew chapter 24 and I started teaching this, that whoa. For the first time, Brother Ricky is not going to teach this from the perspective of dispensational premillennialist. I don't know exactly what I am, but I know I'm not one of those anymore. 
Now, if you're not sure what a dispensational premillennialist is, here's the view. There's going to be a secret coming of Jesus that nobody knows about, and he's going to rapture all of the Christians. He's going to leave all the unbelievers on the earth. There's going to be seven years of tribulation. It's going to get really, really bad. And then at the end of that seven years of tribulation, Jesus is going to come back. And then when he comes back, there's going to be a millennial reign of Christ, basically for the nation of Israel. And us Gentiles will get to participate in that as well. And then there will be a new heaven and a new earth later on. So there's a second coming of Jesus, but it's got different phases. I knew I didn't believe that anymore. But I didn't know if Harden could handle it. And I didn't know what I really believed yet. And I knew in Western Kentucky I'd be labeled a heretic. So I just skipped it. But when I skipped it, I had two men come to me, Ron Thompson and Stephen Hutchins. And they said, Brother Ricky, what it is in this passage that you disagree with? And I got to disciple them. And then people began to talk to me individually, and I got to share with them my view. And then the next time, I started teaching exactly what I believe. So I want you to know... I'm now comfortable sharing with you fully what I wasn't comfortable with 39 years ago. I'm not going to preach this in light of anybody else. I'm going to teach what I believe to be the Word of God. Peter is comparing the return of Christ to a thief because Jesus compared his return to a thief. Now, let's go to verse 3 of Matthew chapter 24. Jesus has left the temple. He's going away. And one of the disciples turned to him and said, hey, Lord, look at this building. Isn't it awesome? Talking about the temple. And instead of Jesus admiring the building, you know what he said? Verse 3, there's not going to be one stone. Or verse 2, there's not going to be one stone left upon another stone. This temple that's got stones that weigh 70 tons apiece. Jesus said it's going to be torn apart stone by stone. And that shook them. Because this was the house of God. So now they go up on the Mount of Olives and they're looking down and you can see the temple mount. It was one of Selyse and I's favorite views when we was in Israel to go up on the Mount of Olives and look down at the temple mount. So they're looking down at the mount, and they come to Jesus, and they've got three questions. When's this going to happen? When's what going to happen? When's the temple going to be destroyed? And then they say, what will be the sign of your parousia, your arrival? Some translations say coming. And what will be the sign of the end of the age? So they're asking three questions. Now, I want you to remember this. When you read Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, Jesus is answering these three questions. I wish he'd have went, okay, this is answer one. Okay, this is answer two. Okay, this is answer three. He doesn't do that. So me and you got to kind of pick and choose when he stops answering one, when he starts answering two, when he starts answering three. Does that make sense? So let's be patient with each other, okay? Let's not let this be a test of fellowship. But Brother Ricky has to share with you what I believe. The first thing he does is he gives signs of the destruction of Jerusalem, and they're clear. He says there's going to be wars, there's going to be pestilence, there's going to be famine, there's going to be rumors of war, nations going to rise against nation. And when you hear about this, just know it's getting close, but what you're waiting for and watching for is the abomination of desolation to take place, fulfilling what the prophet talked about, Daniel. 
And what he's saying is, when you see the armies of Rome start marching on Jerusalem, you get out of the city. And you better wish you're not pregnant, and you better pray it's not the Sabbath, because it's going to be bad. Because what they're going to do is they're going to surround the city, and they're going to destroy the temple, and they're going to destroy the city. And so when you see the armies coming, you get out. By the way, those that believe Jesus' word, when the Roman armies surrounded Jerusalem in AD 67 and sieged it for three years, they lived. Those who stayed in died. When Titus, the Roman general, rode his horse into the city of Jerusalem, the hoofs of his horse never touched the ground, according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, because there were so many dead Jews laying on the ground. Josephus tells that Jews, once the siege started, tried to flee the city, and Rome had set up crosses all the way around the city of Jerusalem. And when they would catch a Jew fleeing the city, they would crucify him upside down, and they would cut their belly to extract the gold that they had swallowed when they left the city. It was horrible. And Jesus clearly gives signs. And then he switches to start talking about the sign of his arrival. Now, I want you to watch this. I struggle with believing they're asking, when are you coming back, when they didn't even think he was going away the first time. Amen? How many times did he tell them he was going away? How many times did he tell them he was going to die? How many? And they didn't believe him. They didn't even believe the women when they said he's alive. They had to check it out for themselves. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I see. So understand, they were not asking, when are you coming back? They're asking this. Whoa. If the temple's going to be destroyed and you're the Messiah, how are you going to reign over Jerusalem with a city that's destroyed? You're supposed to sit on the throne of David. Does that make sense? So they're struggling. Now, you know his kingdom and the kingdom like what they're thinking. So here's what he tells them about the sign of his arrival. He said, the sign, there's just one. And it's in the heavens. And it's me. He said, here's how you know. You're going to look up into the heavens and you're going to see me and I'm going to send out all of my angels and I'm going to gather the elect from the four corners of the earth and it's going to be immediately after the tribulation of those days. Not before a tribulation, after a tribulation. Not a secret coming, but a visible coming. And then he says this, but of that hour and day, no man knows. Not the angels, nor the son, but the father only. Whoa. Only God the Father knows when the Son's coming back. When the Son was on the earth in a human body, just like us, fully men relying totally on his humanity, he did not know when he was coming back. All of the angels who minister in the presence of God, God's never told them. So no one knows. 
And the only sign, it's in heaven. It's when Jesus appears. Wow. I mean, that's what Scripture says. For as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving, and marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. So he's going to draw from the Old Testament. Now remember, Peter, when the false teachers teach that, hey, since creation, everything's been the same, Peter goes, uh-uh, something big happened. That was a flood. God got so upset with the sinful of humanity that he destroyed the world with a flood. Agreed? And then he says there's coming another judgment, a day of judgment, when the ungodly will be destroyed, and they're going to be destroyed with what? Fire. Now, Peter, remembering Jesus' words. Now, if we go to Jesus, Jesus compares his return to the day of Noah. Y'all remember Noah? Did anybody believe him? Did anybody think a flood was coming? Nope. So what'd they do? They just kept eating, they kept drinking, they kept marrying, they kept giving their kids away to marriage. Just live life as they knew to live life. And they were unaware until the flood came. And swept them all away. Only eight people were ready. Only eight people got in that ark. The rest of humanity was judged by God and they were destroyed. It swept them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now let's keep this in context, what Jesus is saying. When I come, most people are going to be unaware. And what's going to happen? They're all going to get swept away. They're all going to get judged. That's the context, right? So the idea here is judgment. Now watch this. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Not to leave you ladies out. Two ladies are going to be grinding at the meal. One will be taken, one will be left. I remember the sermon where I was warned that if my mom and my dad were believers and my dad was driving the car and Jesus came and my dad disappeared and I was an unbeliever, I'd be left and my dad would be taken and if I was in the back seat, the car would not have a driver and there'd be crashes. That's not what this teaches. Who was taken in judgment in the day of Noah? The unbelievers. Who was left on the earth in the ark? Believers. Noah and his family. 
When Jesus Christ comes, according to Jesus, as a thief in the night, who's going to be taken in judgment? Unbelievers. And who's going to be left? Believers. When's this day going to be? When he appears in heaven in glory with his angels? We don't know. In his humanity, he doesn't know. Look what he says next. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Next passage. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is not teaching in the context that Jesus is coming stealthily, secretly. Nobody sees him. It's not the context. Context is this. You don't know when he's coming. But he's coming. And he compares it to a thief. If you'd have known when the thief was coming, you'd been ready. But if you're not ready, thief's going to come. He's going to take everything he wants because you're not ready. Long time ago when the Swains first started coming to Harden, they invited us over to their house. We went to their house for supper, was having a great time, left, went home. And when we came home, we got robbed. Us visiting a prospective church member and somebody broke into our house and stole from us. <sighs> now, if I'd known that was going to happen, I wouldn't have went to the Swains. I'd been home. And I'd been awake. And I'd been ready. 270. Double-barreled shotgun. Amen. This is Western Kentucky. Amen. <laughs> Didn't expect it. Wasn't ready. Stole from me. Was in Brazil once. And somebody broke into our house. Now, I wouldn't have stayed home from Brazil. But my brother-in-law, he'd had the gun. You get the point. Jesus says, you don't know when I'm coming. Be ready. Be ready. Now, why does he want us to be ready? Here's why he says. He's going to compare people. He's going to say... You know, when the servant comes home and he finds, when the master comes home and he finds his servant's done what he asked him to do, he rewards him. But when he comes home and finds out he didn't do right, he punishes him. Don't make this Christian non-Christian. Make this mankind 
And those who are doing what Jesus says, they're going to be rewarded. Those who do not do what Jesus says, they're going to be punished. Got that? And then he goes on to warn us. He says, you know, he said, there was five people who were wise and there were five people who were foolish and the five foolish people wasted their oil and wasn't ready when the bridegroom came, but the one who was ready, wow, they enjoyed the wedding. Then he said, my Perus is going to be like the master who went away and gave gifts to his servants. And when he come back, he rewarded the ones who were faithful, but the ones who wasn't, he judged. And then look at Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Now, guys, he's done talking about his glory in Matthew chapter 24. This is not two second coming. It's one second coming. There's not two phases of it. There's one second coming. It's in glory. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. When Christ comes, you're either sheep or a goat. There is no time after the return of Christ for you to get saved. When he comes, if you're not ready, you'll be swept away in judgment. And when you do stand before him on the gravelly throne of judgment, he will cast you into eternity that was prepared for the devil and his angels. This breaks my heart. It's why Peter's writing. God's patient. He's long-suffering. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. That's the reason we're still here. Can you imagine being God when God sends Jesus and he knows the eternal fate of everyone is decided? And you are here this morning. You won't get to come back next week and get another chance. It's over. You may get 70 more years. You may get 50. You may get 30. You may get 10. We may not eat lunch today. We don't know when he's coming, but we know he is coming like a thief. So he wants us to be prepared.
Paul. Also, when talking about the return of Christ, compared it to a thief in the night. Paul wasn't with Jesus. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, now he's mentioned the second coming or the coming of the Lord in the first chapters. And when it comes to verse 13, here's what he says. I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. I like what the King James says. The King James says, I do not want you to be ignorant. So can I just say, all of you from Dexter, I don't want you to be ignorant. All of you from Harden, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you in Murray and Benton to be ignorant. And so many people are ignorant of this. About those who are asleep. Sleep here isn't referring to people who are resting at night. This is referring to people who are dead and are believers. And their bodies are in the ground. He says, I don't want you to grieve as others do who have no hope. See, when your loved one dies, if they're not a believer, there's no hope for them. There is no hope. You don't need to wait till your loved one dies to wonder where they're at. You need to be talking to him right now. But believers who die have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So there's a sense, true sense, in which the body of a believer is in the ground, in a grave, but their spirit soul is with Jesus in heaven. So when Jesus comes back, the spirit soul of those believers are going to come back with Jesus. Does that make sense? Now look what he says. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. That we, See, he got this from the Lord. Peter, after, I mean, Paul, after coming to know Christ, went out in the Arabian desert. Three years, the Lord personally taught him. And the Lord taught him about his return. And here's what he says. I got this by a word from the Lord. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. See, now the Lord's already went back, so we know he's going to come back because he said he was. When he comes back, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So I want you to get this picture. If Jesus comes back this afternoon, I'm not going to go be with Jesus before my mom and dad and my grandparents' bodies are raised from the ground. So the point here is, those of us who have loved ones who have died in Christ, they're not at a disadvantage if Jesus comes back. And we don't have an advantage over them if we're alive. Look what it says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will arise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, I want to be serious here. Does this sound like a stealth secret coming of Christ that no one knows about? 
No. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. With the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God. Woo! Glory! Hallelujah! Amen! This is not a, shh, don't tell anybody I'm coming. I'm going to secretly take those who are mine. No. Trumpet's going to blow. He's going to shout. He's coming back for his church. He's going to raise those who are physically dead. We're going to receive glorified bodies just like him. And we're going to live with him forever as we're caught up in the air. Those of us who are alive and those who died in glorified bodies. Wow! Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, everybody stops right here. Because it ends a chapter, and nobody reads chapter 5. But remember, man added the chapters, not God. You know what chapter 5 says? Look with me. Now, concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need that anything be written to you. Whoa. Jesus said day and hour. Paul says times and seasons. So I want to expand this. Some of you aren't going to like this. But it's the word of God. We don't know the hour. We don't know the day. We don't know the season. And we don't know the time. We don't know. Why? Because you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come what? Like a thief in the night. The thief doesn't tell you when he's coming. And not even Jesus is going to tell us when he's coming. And God's not going to tell us when he's coming. And there's only one sign. And that's when you look up and see him. Wow. Wow. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction come upon them as labor, pain, labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. It's the idea of judgment. The thief in the night is going to catch those who are ungodly by total surprise. And when it happens, I mean, ladies, do you remember being pregnant? When that labor pain hit, couldn't stop it, could you? The destruction that's on its way can't stop it. False teachers say it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. And the world's going to be totally surprised. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are, you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who are asleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. 
Verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake, alive, or sleep dead, we might live with him. Now I want you to get this picture. At the second coming of Jesus, according to Jesus and Matthew, angels are going to gather all the elect. Now, Jesus is teaching that we're all going to be gathered up off the earth. And they're saying, hold it, Brother Ricky, I thought you said believers were going to be left on the earth. I did. But watch this. Look at the end of verse 10. And then. And then. Seven years of tribulation? No. And then, millennial reign of Christ? No. What? Heavens dissolve. Heavenly bodies melt from fervent heat. And everything that's on the earth gets exposed. Now, if you've read the book of Revelation lately... By the way, I went back to Owen's Chapel and apologized for the harm I did in teaching that book wrong to them. If you've read the book of Revelation, you know there are five pictures of the return of Christ. The picture in chapter 6 is when Christ comes, all of the stars are going to fall to the earth and men are going to try to hide from God and they're going to ask, who can hide? Who can stand on this day of wrath? And the answer is you can if you're an unbeliever. But if you're a believer, you're either on the earth or you're in heaven and you can stand and that's what Revelations chapter 7 teaches. Those of us who are on the earth when Jesus comes back, we're the 144,000. Those of us that have died, we're that great multitude in heaven. And then the next picture is this. When Christ comes in, he, in Revelation chapter 11, here's the picture. Kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of Christ. When does that happen? Second return of Christ. And here's what happens. Unbelievers get judged, we get rewarded. Then in chapter 14, we have the picture of the harvest of the earth. And then in chapter 16, here's what Jesus teaches. There's a parenthesis where he steps in and says, Behold, I come like a thief. Stay awake. Have your clothes on. Don't let me find you naked when I come and be exposed. Then in Revelation 19, he's coming on a horse. First time he came, he came on a donkey. He came into Jerusalem to bring peace. But when he steps out of heaven again, he's coming on a horse and he's going to put down all of his enemies. Those of us who know him, we're going to be in the marriage supper of the Lamb. But those who don't know him, they're going to be devoured by the birds of the air. And then in Revelation 19, we see all of humanity, as in Matthew 25, standing before God in the great white throne, judgment. And then after that judgment, which is what Peter's talking about here, the day of judgment. What does John see? A new heaven and a new earth. Stick with me. Corey's going to talk about it in the next couple of weeks, but we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> 
We're not looking for a millennial reign of Christ. We're not looking for a rapture of the church. We're looking for the second coming of Jesus so that he can bring us a new heaven and a new earth. So get this picture. We're on the earth. He comes back, and we're going to see the greatest fireworks show the world has ever seen. All of the universe is going to dissolve by fire, and the earth's going to be burned up with fire. And guess where you and me, we're going to be lifted up off of it because you don't want to be like Michael and those guys in the midst of the fireworks. When God's judging the earth, you don't want to be here. You want to be with Jesus, and he's going to lift us up off the earth, and all around us, everything's going to be dissolved. And those of us who did not see original Christian are going to see God recreate a new heaven and a new earth, and he's going to sit us back down on it, and we're going to live with him forever and ever and ever if you're awake when he comes. But if you're not awake, if you let this world entice you and you go for this world, and you're asleep when he comes, You'll spend eternity in a lake of fire. No chance ever to repent. The very reason Jesus has not come back yet may be because of you who are sitting here right now. Do you know Jesus? Is your faith in him? Does your life reveal that? Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. If you're here and you know you don't know Christ, and you'd love to talk to someone before you leave, if you'll just raise your hand, if you'll just come forward, we got some folks who would love to talk to you about Jesus. Anyone? Hey, if you can't come forward now, if you'll call me or Corey or one of our pastors, just anyone in this church, please, please, don't live asleep. Let's wake up to the truth of Jesus. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org.